Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entertainment entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team of Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one, the only, Dan Z, and I are recording this on Monday, December 30th, just one day away from the start of not only a new year, but an entirely new decade. Um, yes. Do we have any resolutions, Dan? You know, actually, after we record, my wife and I are going, we always do kind of an end of the year uh, look back and we set mm -hmm. goals for the year. So I, I'm not quite sure yet. I do know we want to continue to grow mm -hmm. uh, coffee with Kenobi and uh, continue to expand things at our house. So we are excited. And I also would like to read more books that don't have lightsabers in them. <laughs> yeah. I want to branch out a little bit more. I, I I get that. I do. I do. You know that that because again, you know, the interesting thing is that you never know, and and odd enough, you never know when you're you're reading something, uh, you know, a, a book about an entirely different topic that something will then filter in uh, that you can then use, uh, you know, for a show or for a podcast or or just for a conversation with your wife, you know. That's right. that, that, you know, and, and by the way, before uh, we, you know, we get started here, uh, I wanted to talk about the, the piece in the Chicago Tribune, which uh, I, I don't know if a lot of our listeners are, are aware of this. Uh, you got profiled uh, by that paper, what, two weeks ago? Uh, yeah, it came out a couple of days before the movie came out, before mm -hmm. The Rise of Skywalker came out. Uh, uh, they interviewed me uh, in April at Celebration mm -hmm. Chicago. And then they came out to my classroom twice and I had about four or five phone interviews. And uh, it really turned out to be a beautiful piece. I was just really so humbled and flattered. It was uh, it was very nice. Oh, well, I, well like, uh, that's, I think we were pre-gaming uh, before we started the show. And what, what I liked about it is it was a genuinely nice story about a genuinely nice guy. And, and more to the point, also kind of explained the unique position you occupy in the fan community. Uh, so it, it, folks, if you haven't read it, please seek it out. It's, 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 it's well worth a read. And, and speaking of reading, uh, one of my resolutions for 2020 is to finally uh, organize my reference library. I, you know, oh. I, I, you know God, um, I, when I moved at the last time I did this, Dan, uh, was when Nancy and I moved in together, and that was the fall of 1997. Wow! Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of Ark of the Covenant country here. Uh, you know, lots and lots of piles of books and magazines. Uh, the last time I did a count, I was over ten thousand, and I, you know, I. <sighs> But the problem is that I, I, I face it, you know, you get sent books from a lot of folks who are doing Star Wars related projects, oh, yeah. right? All the time. All the time. Okay. So you, you understand that, you know, you just start piling things and, you know, gradually it starts to look like Bryce Canyon. Um, yes. but at the same time, you know, that, that, you know, what I find is that sometimes, again, as we're mentioning at the top of the show, sometimes you'll get a book that you really didn't expect would be interesting or entertaining um, that suddenly comes at you in a, a, a different sort of way. I mean, for example, did, did you get a copy of the official Black Spire Outpost cookbook 
I have two of them, actually. Yes. Well, there we and at the holiday season, and you didn't share. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> we were we're doing a big show uh, in a, in a two weeks, a live show, and mm-hmm. so I got to save some prizes. That's I. There we go. Yeah, man yes. after my own heart. That, that, that's <laughs> the same thing I do. That that, that when, when I get the extras from Dizzy or that sort of thing, I, I bring them along to events and and use them as prizes. But but yeah, that that uh, Inside publishes back in November of this year. In fact, uh, what is it? The two authors, Mark Simarak, uh, who's a uh, Eisner and Harvey uh, Award nominated author, written hundreds of comic books. Whereas Chelsea Monroe Castle. Um, I think the the reason she was brought on board this project, she actually wrote the New York Times bestseller, the A Feast of Ice and Fire, the official Game of Thrones companion cookbook. So I can see why Insight would have brought her on board uh, to do this Black, the official Black Spire Outpost book. But yeah. um, did you actually get to read the book? Uh, or, or page I've, through again? I've rifled through it uh, plenty of times because I wanted to see how much of it was accurate to what they have actually on bat too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and I have to admit, I, I cracked it open cause it was one of these things where it's like, can I make a Ronto wrap at home? Is this ring actually possible? And, um, what I was kind of surprised by though, was that they, um, uh, Mark and, uh, Chelsea have actually folded in quite a bit of backstory for uh batu in fact there's a lot of stuff i didn't know uh you know that that i, I only learned because i read the the foreword and the first 10 or so pages of this uh cookbook i mean uh for example you i mean dan you know the the what is it that that transport that's up on one of the rooftops in black spire outpost the one that has the numbers on the side of it 77 80 83 yes uh, i don't need to explain to you no you know what that is but but can you 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 tell our listeners the significance sure. of yep yeah every that's uh those are the years that star wars the empire strikes back when return of the jedi came out mm-hmm. yeah well, but the inter- uh, interesting thing is that what they do with this book cookbook is they actually identify who parked that vehicle up on and more to the point why they put it up on docking bay seven and that's because the owner strano tugs um he landed this transport vessel there, which, which, by the way, evidently is called a Senar Chal Utilipede. Um, but he used to be the head chef at Maz Kanata. Am I saying that right? Maz Kanata. Yeah, Maz Kanata. That's right. Okay. Uh, you know, her castle back on Taconda. Uh, no. Takodana. Takodana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I'm bet. so good at this. You know, that, that, that I'm really good at names. Um, but anyway, of course, the First Order obviously leveled the place in the events we saw in Force Awakens. And Strano needs a new place to set up, uh, you know, because he's the, the head chef and now has no place to cook. So and more to the point, he's trying to put some distance between himself and the First Order. So what does he do? He flies to Batu, But uh, unfortunately, as he lands, uh, you know, that, that the first order has arrived. And in fact, that, you know, that, that evidently that's the interesting the thing that, that Strano is sort of the equivalent of a food truck now. Um, and you know, the whole notion is what he's set up in docking bay seven really is sort of a temporary facility. In fact, that's why so many of the, um, the, the little food shops down there are literally storage containers, you know, the stuff that he's brought and set up. Um, but yeah, just a, 
what was intriguing to me is there was so much I learned backstory that the Imagineers evidently shared with Mark and Chelsea that hadn't necessarily bubbled out into the land. Um, I get, you know, for example, Bakar, the, the human owner of Ronto's Roasters. Um, it turns out, according to the backstory for that character, he's a fourth generation butcher, uh, from Tatooine. And of course, we all know the story, you know, that, what is it? Supposedly the meat is being cooked on a modified, uh, podcast. But yeah. the interesting thing is that the, <laughs> I now know, the name of the droid, uh, you know, that, that, that's turning the meat there. His name is 8DJ8 and he's a former smelter droid. Um, more to the point that we get some more backstory on, uh, the owner of August Katina, uh, Aga Gera, as it turns out, she's evidently the biggest scoundrel in all of Black Spire Outpost that, you know, that, that, you know, it's, it, she's not, it's not just that people come in, you know, uh, and, and sort of cut deals in her, uh, you know, in her bar. Uh, she gets a cut of everything. Oh, and, yeah. And the Black Spar novel does a wonderful job of really showcasing what kind of person she is and how much control and authority she has. And actually, mm-hmm. once you read that and then you kind of have fun with that when you're, when you're actually in Galaxy's Edge on either coast. Mm-hmm. It's really fun to bring her up and to see the kind of reactions that cast members give you. No, oh, I gotta, I, I'll have to try that. I mean, I again, I have yet to actually make it into the bar, but you know, the, the 2020 is my year. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll be waiting for you. <laughs> Good. <laughs> what is it? A, a fuzzy tauntaun? Is that That's right? The, okay. All right. Now, then, now you know, order my drink ahead. I sure will. Um, and, and speaking of, of uh, new stuff at the parks, I don't know if you saw that on the 20th of this month, in addition to uh, Rise of Skywalker opening in theaters, we also get a brand new uh, version of the ride film uh, debuted in Star Tours. The adventure continues. Um, and I, I guess we actually get to two locations that are featured in that J.J. Abram films. We Kef Burr, the ocean moon of Endor. Kef, Kef Beer. Kef, Kef Beer. Beer. Okay. And then we get to the hidden Sith planet of Exegol. Exegol. Yes. Um, I, I got to say, I, I've watched th- this footage online and I, I think they do a fine job, but, but I, I think my favorite moment out of it is uh, the appearance of Lando. Uh, you know, just sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's always nice to see Billy D, but. I, I love that the Imagineers actually had Lando acknowledge both C-3PO and R2-D2, which I, I guess that's the first time they've done that. Um, as far as know, I can had, remember, yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, anyway, we, we were talking about uh, weird places we acquire stories and that sort of thing. And since we're just talking about Star Tours, um, I just got off of eBay the other day uh, this um, – this issue of the Disneyland line uh, from August of 1986. And, and Dan, you'd find this fascinating because this is actually when Star Tours is under construction at Disneyland. And th- they have this amazing cover story in this issue about when the park took delivery on those four Star Tours pa- passenger cabins that are, that are featured in the attraction. And, um, and, and just the logistics of getting them into the show building. Cause these, these things each weigh 20,000 pounds. Wow. And you know, well, the interesting, when the story starts, 
they've already taken delivery of three of these things. They're actually keeping them backstage in the parade storage building. That's where all the floats for the parades that roll down Main Street are kept when, uh, you know, that the, the, the parades aren't being held. But the fourth um, passenger cabin is actually still up at Glendale because the Imagineers have just finished programming the, the initial Star Tours ride. So, uh, you know, now it's time for that cabin to come down to Anaheim. So they actually have to turn to the California Highway Patrol and make arrangements to schlep this giant, you know, 20,000 pound vehicle on an enormous truck down the five, the 35 miles from Glendale to, uh, you know, to Anaheim. And what ends up happening is that, you know, the, 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 the chips is like, okay, you can do it, but you have to do it after, after midnight. Uh, you know, cause the, the, the least travel, and again, you've got to be off the road, uh, by six o'clock in the morning. So, uh, they turn to the Halbert brothers company and evidently these are back in the eighties. These were the guys at Disney, whatever they had something oversized that they either brought down to Anaheim. These were the guys so, for example, when they got the new monorail train, so the, the cars for the fleet were all delivered to Disneyland uh, by the Halbert brothers. Cause evidently they knew the height of every bridge and the width of every road in Southern California. Wow. So um, anyway, they, they bring them down to Disneyland, but they have to get them backstage. And the, the only way they can get them this thing backstage is they have to go through the Catella gate because that's the one place where the monorail tr uh, track is high enough that the truck that's carrying this passenger cabinet can pass under it. And, and then, uh, you know, it's this, you know, uh, uh, in fact, anybody who saw the Imagineering story documentary on uh, Disney plus got to see a couple of quick seconds of footage of this where Disney actually brought in two giant construction cr cranes. Uh, you know, uh, um, these things had 260 foot long booms, Dan. Uh, they were capable of lifting 165 tons. Uh, that's the, the, the equivalent of being able to lift an entire 747. Um, but they had two of them there on site. And the first one uh, was positioned outside the Disneyland kennel. And what it did is actually lifted each of the cars over the berm and Disneyland's administration building and then dropped them backstage. Well, not dropped them, put them down lightly uh, backstage between Main Street and Tomorrowland. And then the second crane, uh, which I guess was, was positioned out in Tomorrowland, literally lifted the um, each of these these passenger cabins to the to this giant hole that had been carved on the roof of the old Adventures Through Inner Space building. And then each was lowered down to the hole where they were met by four heavy lifting, uh, what are they called? Forklifts. And then working in concert, the, the four forklifts moved each of the cabins to the, the spot in the building where that individual uh, passenger cabinet was going to be parked. And they did this all in a day. You know, uh, and more to the point, they, you know, that because they'd done all of their advanced planning, it happened accomplished without a hitch, um, which I wish had been the case when you flew out to LA earlier this month to attend the, the, the red carpet premiere of, uh, what is it? Uh, the Star Wars, uh, episode nine, uh, the rise of Skywalker, but that wasn't really the case, right, Dan? 
That you are correct. Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> uh, when we get back from this commercial break, uh, Dan will tell us all about how getting to Hollywood was kind of a hassle. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. Okay. A couple of quick housekeeping notes here. Um, Okay. Uh, Rise of the Resistance, been out in theaters now. Oh, excuse me. Rise of the Rise of Skywalker. (sighs) Dan, can we pause here for a moment? There were so many names that. Either yes. this traction could have had, or this movie could have had. Why did they both have to be Rise? Oh, I agree. Yeah, there's and then there's a couple Resistance Reborn sort of has a Rise. There's mm. a lot of Phoenix stuff going on in the world of Star Wars, basically. Uh, I guess so. You know, just and, and at the same time, if you think about, you know, Star Wars Resistance over on uh, Disney XD, I mean, it's yeah. just sort of like from my a a brand clarity point of view, this, this isn't Lucasfilm's best moment. Um, but anyway, uh, the movie to date, Rise of Skywalker, has sold uh, an estimated $725 million worth of tickets worldwide. Uh, and, but, but yet there are still some Star Wars fans, myself and Nate included, who have yet to see this J.J. Abrams film. Whereas you, Dan, you have seen it how many times now? I've seen it four times at the time of this recording. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, wow. Okay. Um, now mind you, some of that is, is holidays. Some of that is family stuff. In fact, we're having a weather event. I was hoping to get out today with Nancy to see the show before we recorded, but we'll do this soon. So I, you know, and, but that said, I've been trying so hard, Dan, to, to avoid, uh, you know, rise of Skywalker's spoilers. But to be honest, we're 12 days past the opening now and, Every day I turn around, there's another story, whether it's the minute and a half of, of footage that Rose has of this movie or or how you know they persuaded Harrison Ford to come back. Uh, so I'm fairly familiar with the story mechanics. So I, I'm not going to say, folks, that today's show is necessarily going to be spoiler-free, but um, we'll try to be respectful here. Um, yeah, I won't say, and I won't reveal any major plot points because I, I okay. want you to be able to enjoy it. I, I I anticipate that it will, you know, but I, but I appreciate that. Oh, one other thing. Um, on a previous uh, looking at Lucasfilm, you and I talked about that talk that Mark Hamill and Frank Oz gave at the 92 Street Y. I think they, they initially, uh, you know, sat down for this talk in March of 2018. Um, I, I'm... You know, it, and it was so entertaining, and it, they they shared so many great behind the scenes stories of, of you know, working together in Empire and uh, you know, uh, Return of the Jedi, and I think even the Muppet Show. Uh, so it's it's I'm I'm thrilled to announce that this thing, the full ninety minutes, is is now available on YouTube. Uh, and honestly, Dan, this is one of the most entertaining Star Wars related things I've seen in years, and I urge our listeners to seek it out. Um, if, if anything, just to, you know, to, to listen to, to Mark Hamill, who is really such an entertaining storyteller. Oh, he's great. He'd be a great talk show host. 
Oh no, absolutely. But, but he has such a great story about his Broadway debut and, and how, you know, basically, you know, he spent weeks and weeks teaching himself how, uh, Harrigan and, and Hogan, I think that's the, the name of the show or Harrigan and Hart and you know, teaching himself to dance and, and, you know, and being surrounded by then professional dancers who just kicked his butt, you know, just, uh, Anyway, getting back to, to, to professional entertainers, which brings us to Hollywood, which brings us to you on the red carpet at the Hollywood premiere of Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker, which, again, what I love is that you brought your wife, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, couldn't, have, I couldn't have imagined. I mean, if you're going to see the last film, The Skywalker Saga, you've got to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to the max. And there was no better way for me to do that than to go to the blue carpet premiere mm-hmm. with my wife and my bride and I had the most wonderful time together. Well, I, again, I just like, I, I love, especially given, you know, all the time you've been doing this, that especially for, for this last film of the saga uh, that you brought her along. But, but again, getting there proved to be a bit of a challenge. Can, can you talk about, what happened at the airport? Or? Sure. Yeah, we um, we made it to our local airport, and uh, we were not aware. I mean, I mm-hmm. I mean, people have been listening to this show or Coffee with Kenobi know that I travel all the time for the show mm-hmm. to cover yep. things on both coasts and sometimes in Europe and all kinds of places. So I fly a lot. Got mm-hmm. a lot of frequent flyer miles been piling up, and every time I book, if I check a bag, I always pay in advance to check the bag because that just mm-hmm. is more practical and financially solvent but this time uh even though i did i i was never aware that there's a 45 minute window before you're are boarding where you have to have your bags checked i didn't know that was happening i didn't see it ever ever in an airport i never saw it online when i pay for my tickets whether it's through expedia or travelocity or for the specific airline websites themselves and i said well can't we need to check our bags he says sorry you miss it you're gonna have to get a connecting flight later in the day and i said but we're here and we already paid he said sorry the, the rule is 45 minutes and he walked off without an explanation and he was rather rude about it in short so we went through security brought our bags with us ran all the way up to the gate and then lo and behold the gentleman was waiting for us at the gate and passively aggressively instead of actually talking to me and my wife he looked to the person working the computer and said, you're going to charge them a, a bag fee to check their bags at the gate. And I said, well, I already Ooh. paid online to do that. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you're at the gate now. You have to pay again. I was very disappointed, very upset with how United treated us. Never heard back from them. No one has resolved anything. I'm out an extra 60 bucks. And again, happy to pay if, if that is the procedure and the process. But I think you can actually address a person face to face and do so with and treat them with dignity and let them know instead of treating them uh, the way they did. No, no, I, I get that. And, and let me preface this by saying same thing. I do a lot of flying. I've dealt with a lot of, of, you know, airport, you know, personnel, whether it's, you know, the, the folks on the ground or the, the, you know, the folks actually work in the planes and, and it, look, it's a tough job. You know, you're moving yeah. you know, thousands of people a day and, you know, your planes have to push back from the gates so the next ones can come in and that sort of thing. But, but every so often you get that, you know, that one rude employee, that one, you know, that, that, you know, that one individual that, you know, can literally color your perception of an entire trip or an entire airline. 
uh, you know, that that's, I could tell you stories about the Delta employees at the Manchester airport, which was kind of my home airport. Sure. Um, you know, but, but again, you know, just the, the thing, it's just, just cause you get that one bad individual and I'm sorry you, you, I mean, especially you get, you get a trip like this that should have been fun. And or should have started on, on, a, a, on a grace note, so to speak. You know, and the, honestly, the, and once we landed or once we got in the air, I forgot about it because I thought I'm not going to let this ruin but, my trip. But, you know, I I just cautioned people, you know, and, and, and don't blame United as a company. I just thought that particular individual uh, didn't well, represent I, the company well. No, no, not at all. And and more to the point, if that was what was then going to happen at the gate, couldn't he have told you? Exactly. There at the ticket counter? You I mean, should I just, think so. Oh, God. All right. Well, well, moving on to the happier part of the trip. So, okay. So you, you, you land in LA, you, you collect your bag at LAX. Where did you wind up staying for the trip? Uh, we stayed at the Lowe's Hollywood Hotel. That's oh. where I, I've stayed uh, for the last premiere I was at. That's where I stayed when we shot the Target commercial. I knew it was going to be in walking distance to the premiere itself. So it just seemed like the perfect place to stay. And it really was. Well, it's it, it, now it, is that part of the Hollywood and Highland complex? It, it, is that am I remembering that? That's correctly? exactly right. Yep. Okay. That's All right. Exactly so right. yeah, that that been there several times myself. And so, uh, did did your wife avail herself of of Hollywood and Highland? There's some cool little shops and restaurants in there. Oh, she loved it. When when I did the commercial, she uh, came with me. Uh, Target flew us both out there, so she's familiar with that neighborhood as well so we knew all the haunts and we of course managed to eat it in an out burger a couple of times and there we go we kind of shops to check out so oh yeah we were ready to go okay okay (laughs) you know that that's on behalf of drew taylor i thank you that that that, that, mind you (laughs) you know that we do the in and out thing though the drew and i are are preferred office uh, in fact that's our, our standing joke is that uh, you know, the, Drew and I consider our office to be the the Bob's Big Boy and Tuluka Lake. You know, the, oh, that's the, a great one. So, um, okay, so now, I, I, all right, I, I guess I'm a little confused. Was the premiere held at the El Capitan or at the Dolby? Uh, yes, it was both of those and the Chinese Theater as well. All oh, three, all three okay. spots. Yep. And so, when you got when you check in, mm-hmm. you get you get your credentials, which is basically a, a giant lanyard. And on your lanyard, it tells you where you're sitting and what theater you're in. Okay. And I, given the size of, of this event, uh, how was security? Oh, security was tight. I mean, it was just like at an airport. Mm-hmm. You you know, you had to go through the metal detectors. And then before you actually went into the theater itself, they, they put the wand on you, too, just to make sure you didn't have anything else. Okay. Okay. It was and- very good. Very, very, very on point. And I thought they did a great job. Handled it beautifully. Okay, and now typically when Disney does, and again, you, you you've done at least one of these before. You did the solo one where they they you know block they shut down Hollywood Boulevard and, mm. and they built the uh kind of the full size Millennium Falcon. But but this this was different. This was a little bigger, right? Or it was a lot bigger. They they had it sectioned off in into two separate areas. One was the actual blue carpet with the the interview press line and um, a lot of the physical setups. They had three life-size X-Wings there. Porsche had a, a display there showing the model for the the ship that they designed along with Doug Chang and, and a car. And then there was another massive area with costumes and a couple of open bars and a, just a massive, massive area. And we got there on Saturday. The premiere was on Monday. 
Mm-hmm. And I guess they had had that area closed since Friday. So they spent like four days on that thing. Oh, yeah. Well, again, Disney wanted all eyes on this movie. So, you know, no expense was spared. Now, okay. So, now, but you were there as, I guess, attending the premiere, not as press, right? Correct. Correct. Which is actually a much better way to go. Well, you're no, not, I, you're not I, handcuffed. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I was about to say that that's the thing. When when you go as press, you are literally, you know, you have your spot, which you have to occupy for three to four hours, because uh, you know it takes forever. Uh, you know, the, these events get started really early, and and then just before the you know the film actually starts is when most of the celebrities actually show up. And, you know, they, they tend to motor down the line. So, you know, you, you're waiting for hours hoping to get, you know, a, you know, a soundbite that works. Um, so I, I, if, for those folks who, you know, who've been paying attention on social media, uh, you got to have a pretty cool encounter with a, a, a veteran of the Star Wars franchise. And uh, care to talk about your moment with Mr. Ford? How, how oh, did boy. that happen? <laughs> so after the movie, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everyone just sort of, you know, exhales and they, they catch up with their, their friends and who they brought with them and their loved ones and talk about it. Uh, Deanna and I, my wife, Deanna and I went and had, we ate dinner, uh, and kind of walked around and then I headed back over and, and Disney invited me into the VIP area, which mm-hmm. was wonderful. And so I went there and you're in this massive, massive room. And basically every star from the movie has their own little table. Mm-hmm. And people are walking around talking, all the Lucasfilm people are there. So I knew right away, I saw right away where Harrison was. And so I approached him, uh, tapped him on the shoulder, and we, we spoke for a good, honestly, a good five minutes. Uh, we talked a lot about um, the the state of writing and how it's a dying art. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some fun with um, uh, text messaging and how that has impacted writing and during this time, I got three handshakes. I got a pat on the back, and then I got to introduce him to my to my wife. Mm-hmm. He was incredibly cordial and sweet. Uh, we got a couple of great pictures. And and Jim, I have not come down from that moment. It's been two weeks, uh, literally two weeks, and I have not stopped smiling. I, oh. I just it was the absolute dream of my life. I mean, it's solo. I met George Lucas mm-hmm. uh, years before that. I met Carrie Fisher, and now I got to spend some quality FaceTime with Harrison Ford. I mean, I, I could not be happier or more blessed. I'm just ecstatic about it. And then just, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that that happened to you. And, and more to the point, that was the exact right approach, you know, that, that, you know, coming, you know, cause again, you know, face it, you know, that, that somebody like, like him, who's, you know, been acting for years and years and years and, you know, our, oh God, you know, that, that so often the fans, just come at the person, you know, the, the performer as, you know, again, they're the character. That is great to hear now. Okay. So again, going to face it, you got to see the, this film under these extraordinary circumstances. And, yes. and by the way, which theater were you in the Dolby or the Chinese? I was in the Chinese theater, which I'd never seen a movie in that theater. So I love that I got to see it there. Cause that's where the original one debuted. So that was perfect. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, holy cow. Okay. Um, and, and, and face it, you know, that, that, you know, after, you know, having walked the blue carpet and, and all that. And I have to ask though, that, 
again, you've mentioned you've seen the film now uh, three additional times in addition. Four, to, yeah, yes, four total. Yep. Let's talk about that. I, you know, because again, you know, I, I've done the same thing. When you see a a movie at the premiere, there's this there's this almost this artificial excitement that that because of the experience, you know, the film, you know, all sometimes feels that much more exciting, that much more entertaining. Uh, that it does when you see it at your lo- your local you know uh, multiplex and w- was that the case with you or did did it did it you know did it hold up when you got home or what? Honestly, typically when I see a movie, especially a Star Wars movie, but because I'm so hyperly dialed into this kind of a thing, it, mm-hmm. it will impact uh, subsequent viewings because the first time you're just sort of taking it in and you're not sure where to go. Because mm-hmm. a lot of what Star Wars is about is nostalgia and familiarity, and the first time you see it, it's not familiar at all. Mm-hmm. But I felt almost exactly the same every time I saw it. it. Didn't get better for me. In fact, in some ways, it kind of took a step back for me because structurally, there are some things that that I thought uh, didn't work as well for me. I mean, overall, I was I was happy with it. I smiled. I think there's some great elements that adds to the mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, if I had to select of the the tr- the new trilogy, the sequel trilogy, I would place this one far below the Last Jedi and the Force Awakens. Interesting. Yes. Um, now, I, I, uh, touching on that subject, I, I'm absolutely fascinated by if you you look at the critical, if you head over to Red Tomatoes, uh, or excuse me, Rotten Tomatoes, uh, and look at the, the the critical response to the film versus the audience uh, rating. And what I find just absolutely fascinating here is it's almost the inversion of you know the response to the last jedi right um, what's your take on that i i think that's interesting too i mean there's there's certainly a lot of places uh and points in this movie where people think it was very much going the opposite way and trying to refute the last jedi mm-hmm. i don't feel that way in fact I, I give you all kinds of reasons why i don't think that's true at all but I do see that. And I think that what I have noticed from people is that people who love The Last Jedi are a little bit uh, less than taken with The Rise of Skywalker, whereas people who did not like The Last Jedi at all really seem to love The Rise of Skywalker. So I, it, I guess it doesn't really surprise me. It's almost like the the contrarianism uh, that seems to run neck and neck with Star Wars at times is, is very much still kind of in order. Mm, I get that. Yeah. Uh, out of the film, do you have a, a, a favorite moment or a favorite segment? Or honestly, I do. I don't want to spoil it, but I will say that every scene that has that Ray and Kylo Ren share is excellent. I will say the last forty-five minutes is is great, and the last two or three minutes of the movie is one hundred percent perfection. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I love the last couple of minutes. I I thought it was. Great. I won't. I won't say anything until you've seen it. But yes, it's it's okay. fantastic. Okay. In theory, this the stupid ice storm ends. We go tomorrow. That's right. Bring uh, no. your lightsaber and melt all the ice. <laughs> I would need many lightsabers. Um, I tell you what. I don't know if you've seen the article that that Vanity Fair published today about the Leia scenes. Um, but, oh yeah. But they talk. I mean, I, I, they. You know, they they talk about how they were pulled together, and I I have to admit, I, you know, that, that from a visual effects point of view, the fact that Carrie, as she appears in the film, she's wearing different wardrobe than 
when the scene was originally shot. And again, this is footage, as I understand it, that was initially done for The Force Awakens on, in 2003. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's wearing different uh, wardrobe, a different hairstyle. It's an entirely different setting. The, o- the only thing that, that they kept uh, was her face. And, uh, you know, and, and, and then when you factor in that evidently here's Daisy Ridley, who's, who's basically working off of storyboards, uh, because of course, you know, Carrie isn't there. Uh, and, and then, uh, then you have, you know, Carrie's daughter, Billy, who actually, uh, insisted not only okay making the scenes for the movie when, when I guess they, they discussed how they were going to try to do it, but she actually insisted on at least being in one of the scenes with her mom. Um, I have to ask, does, did that work for you, that element of the film or? That is an absolute bright spot, and it's 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 completely one hundred percent miraculous how they how they made it happen. I mean, it's stunning the way that they they put it in there. If you didn't know better, mm-hmm. you would think it was just an organic part of filmmaking. You would have no clue that this was reused footage that they have repurposed, and the special effects, the lighting, all of it. It's it really is stunning how how perfectly it fits in it. I mean. You you could not be more impressed. I think that's an absolute feat that that should be talked about much much more. The way that they're able to achieve this and accomplish this without making it trivial mm-hmm. or like um, sort of like pigeonholed that's in true. it, it legitimately yeah. felt like a part of the story. Well, good. No, that, that that's great to hear. And that speaking of it, without getting into specifics and spoiling, uh, you know, the, the story elements, all three stars of the original trilogy are in this film in, in one form or another. I, I have to ask, did it come across to you? It wasn't gratuitous, right? It, it, it felt no. there. It felt, it felt organic. It felt like a natural, healthy part of the storytelling. And one of the, one of the, one of the main things that I want to try to focus on, because I think that mm-hmm. that was done well, that was done well. There's some other things that were certainly not done well at all, but mm-hmm. those absolutely were those, 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 and it should have been that way. And, and Billy D was fantastic as well. He looked great. Uh, again, with him and, and the other originals that came in, and there's some other cameos that are surprises for people. Mm-hmm. It all felt like it was an organic part of the story, and it was it was well done. That's great to hear. Okay, so just to sort of, and again, we'll we'll, we'll go more in depth on a, on a, a future installment of, of looking at some folks, but but I, just to sort of close out this segment of the show, Dan. So suitable cap for the Skywalker saga understanding of course that if we go by what George you know I was just reading this this great interview uh with Mark Hamill where he was talking about being in the desert shooting the the scenes for Tatooine and then he was like how many sequels (laughs) 12 you know the the, how many installments you know I you know could it as I guess as late as 1978 George was still talking about how this was in theory going to be a 12 part, but, but depends you know, on when you asked him and what, yeah, he's, but, <laughs> he's changed his mind a lot on that over the years. This is very true. All right. But, but uh, okay. So is it a fitting ending to the Skywalker yeah. saga? Uh, no, it's not hmm. uh, because it doesn't feel like an ending it, hmm. to me. It doesn't feel like an ending at all. Uh, I thought if you take uh, the third film in each of these trilogies, hmm. I think this one, um, is the least of Return of the Jedi, Revenge of the Sith, and The Rise of Skywalker. It's the least of of those three. Wow. Uh, yeah, it really is. Uh, and the, again, there are a lot of reasons why, which we'll talk about after you've seen it. 
And okay. that, that's not to say that it's a bad movie. It's not a bad movie, but it just, it, it doesn't feel like, the, and I didn't have any expectations. I'm, I'm kind of a master at making mm-hmm. myself not have any expectations. And uh, no, there's some things that I think um, could be, this is the first, i about this. This is the first time I've seen a Star Wars movie where I had a, I had some challenges with not what the story was, but how the story was told. And a lot of that is my uh, uh, literature background coming into play too. Okay. Well, I can, again, that, that I have it's to tough. say, yeah. I'm very much a constructionist myself, you know, that that's, I, I think we've mm-hmm. talked about on previous shows, you know, about the whole, what the checkout principle that, you know, if you show a gun in act one, you have to fire it in act two. And, you know, th- that's the thing when I look at a, a trilogies of, of films, I expect them to, you know, as a, over three films or, or thereabouts to build a, a story. Right. I, I have to say, for what I would heard so far about, the rise of Skywalker. They, they, again, they, they seem to have left the gun in the draw. Um, but mm. hey, hey. we'll definitely revisit this. Well, uh, now conversely, though, if we talk about the Mandalorian, uh, a, the eighth episode of the first season, uh, season, uh, season finale, just aired this past Friday, uh, and I have to tell you, and I found. Particularly this, you know, I've loved the show from the start, but this last episode was almost ridiculously entertaining. Um, I mean, I, and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about um, fan service in Rise of Skywalker. But I have to say with The Mandalorian, if there was, whenever there was fan service, it was fan service done right. It was, Mm -hmm. uh, it was story driven. Uh, It was. Yeah, I, I, it's great. It's the the finale is great. There's the, the there's a problem to me at the beginning of this, the way that they gratuitously uh, punch the child uh, in the face. I think that's horrific, and they definitely could have gotten the point across about how evil the empire is without uh, doing that. Uh, so I don't, I'm seeing a lot of online conversation about that as well. So I I hated that, but the rest well, of it was great. And I, I, I completely understand that. In fact, that that that's uh, thank you by the way because we were again a couple of days behind everybody else, you know, uh due to holiday and family stuff from seeing this and I had seen your you know tweet about the first 10 minutes not happy. You yes. know, I I literally told Nancy before we we started this, by the way, Dan says the first 10 minutes of this might be a little tough. Uh yes. But, yes. But at the same time, you know, I think, to be honest, watching those two stormtroopers behave as they did and then having the nurse droid come through and just pummeled them. Yes. You know, I mean, they there were, was justice I, there. There was karma. Well, no, that's it, exactly. I, I, I think if he had just come in and pummeled them, uh, you know, our sympathies wouldn't have necessarily been properly set up. So, but, but no, I get what you're saying. Um, but at the same time, you know, the um, the stuff that was revealed, you know, that, that, you know, all season long, people have been wanting to see you know, the, the Mandalorian remove his mask. And I love that moment because, you know, again, I can't do this in front of a living being. Well, I'm not a living being. That was great. Uh, Very you know, powerful. And when I know, and, and, and likewise, uh, to finally get the explanation of why. He, this character might be compelled to, to take care of a child. That, 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 that wonderful flashback that showed his sort of first explorer, you know, or, or uh, first exposure to the Mandalorians. Um, 
and and then you know the the setup of the story uh, going forward from this point uh with the uh what is it the the armor maker uh you know, the armor, to, yeah yeah i know i just i i i i just again for me this was new star wars done right i agree um, you I know totally agree. And, and, and i don't know did you see the piece that Variety did on December 22nd about how they think, honestly, that the future of Star Wars is in these streaming series. That, um, and they argue a very interesting point that, that because they're, they don't have the two, two and a half hour time frame that they're not limited story wise, uh, that these, these streaming, the streaming opportunities here to, to tell a bigger story that, that takes moments to breathe uh, makes it that much easier to tell a, a really compelling and, and, and story. Um, that, make, that makes sense. I mean, I, I know that they've got, uh, they've got, there's got so much to mine. I, I just still hope we can somehow tap into the Marvel recipe without putting out as much product. I think that would be the, the, the the sweet spot for star wars you know i i agree i you know but at the same time remember the disney paid 4.25 billion dollars for you know this 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 franchise and we you know or this intellectual property and we have so much stuff more stuff that's coming i mean you know uh you know whether it's the uh you know the star wars hotel at Walt disney world opening in, in 2021 uh, or for that matter, uh, the Obi Wan Kenobi uh, limited series uh, with Ewan McGregor for for Disney Plus. In fact, I guess just and, and in fact, I, I don't know if you saw the casting notice today. Evidently, they're they're looking for an actor to play the young Luke Skywalker. Hmm, when, so, that, that's interesting. I, well, that, that's uh, that's tricky turf because they can't meet before a new hope. See now that, that 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 that's what I thought of as well, but it just sort of, you know, the, you know, but it's going to be intriguing to see, you know, well, what is that involved? Um, but uh, let's face it, okay, pivoting now to to 2020, we have a very interesting year coming up here, uh, Dan. We've got uh, revival of Star Wars Clone Wars again. That that's Disney Plus. Uh, we have the closing out of, of Star Wars Resistance. Have you caught that they had a, 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 a two-parter over the last uh, two Sundays? Uh, did you check that out? Or? Yeah, I sure did. And? I think it's fascinating. Pretty cool stuff. Okay. Um, again, I, it's, it, I, I have to admit, I, I like this last uh, the, this last two uh, I still feel like they're running for the curtain. You know, I just, I, I you do. Oh, interesting. But man, that, that, that's, that's the hard reality. In fact, um, in, in fact, I, again, I want to say it was the Hollywood reporter that just ran a story about this, but they were talking about how so many of the streaming services now, uh, they've discovered kind of an unfortunate pattern that, that what happens is that it's season one and two, of these series that are done for streaming where you're basically building your audience. And then there's just something that happens with season three, the seat, the audience starts to fall away. And Hmm. really that's, that's why we we keep seeing so many of these shows now getting canceled in season three. Cause it's like, it's, you know, the, the, um, 
the economics, you know, start running against the production. It's like you have a smaller audience and it just doesn't make sense to sort of keep throwing more money at an audience that's getting smaller and smaller. So they shut down, you know, at the end of season three. So, um, you know, I, I guess our days of getting a Star Wars Rebels with, you know, four, you know, four seasons are, are done. Though, But again, now Clone Wars is supposedly this is the the undone season seven. Is that correct or? Uh, yeah, they they're just a bunch. It's not like they these are things that they're just going back and redoing, um, or like they're polishing up. But they're just telling the stories they've always wanted to tell, and there they've got go. they've got some 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 heavy hitting stuff coming from what I understand. Okay, um, all right, and of course we have uh, Star Wars: Rise of the Resistance opening in uh, January at Disneyland Park. So, if you're looking ahead to to, to 2020, what intrigues you most of uh, what Lucasfilm is up to, Dan? Uh, definitely the return of the Clone Wars for sure. And, and of course the Mandalorian season two in the fall, uh, mm-hmm. getting more and more news about um, the Star Wars hotel and uh, mm-hmm. the Galactic Star Cruiser on uh, all those kind of things. And then of course, celebration in August, which hopefully I will see you there at as well. Now. Okay. And this one is back where Anaheim. That's right. That's right. Okay. It's okay. All right. Uh, this one I can possibly pull off. Um, it, it, on, on my side of the fence, I, I guess the one that intrigues me that now, I, again, I don't know if we're going to see this. It's, it's highly unlikely we're going to see this in, in 2020, uh, largely because it was only on December 16th that, uh, we got word about, well, I, again, you and I talked about this, I think back in May that, that, um, that Disney plus had approached Lucasfilm about, you know, they were considering doing something with Willow right. and hired Jonathan Kasdan to, to write a pilot script. And evidently on, uh, December 16th, uh, I guess as a part of a, a profile of Kathleen Kennedy, uh, it was mentioned that, Hey, the, the, the Willow pilot script, uh, has been delivered. Disney and Lucasfilm seem happy, uh, and looking at what's going on with, uh, the Mandalorian, it's like, okay, yeah, let's maybe explore this. So, um, it's, I, but again, now the question is, does this get a green light? Uh, and, you know, forgive me for, for leaning in on Yoda here, but remember what he said in what Empire Strikes Back, what difficult to see, always in motion, the future is. Um, that's right. And, I don't know. I just, it's especially at this time where we have Bob Iger talking about, you know, after uh, the rise of Skywalker, we're going to hit pause in regard to the Star Wars saga. And, uh, you know, we, but at the same time, we have this project that Kevin Feige is supposedly working on. And at the same time, we have, uh, what was it called? Uh, Children of Bone or Blood and Bone? Blood and Bone, yes. That, that children's fantasy series that Lucasfilm acquired the, the, the movie rights to in, in August. And, um, if, if what I'm hearing is true, uh, the plan is that Disney, should this film actually be produced, it, it's going, it's not for Disney Plus, it's theatrical, and it's supposed to be released through, uh, the Fox 2000 arm. So, wow. Um, I don't know. I, again, for me, I just, I, you know, it, I mean, face it, we've got Indiana Jones is supposedly ramping up, uh, Indiana Jones five ramping up production next year to be released in 2021. 
I that's the thing. I what I love about Lucasfilm is it isn't just Star Wars. Um, it is you know things like Indy. It is Willow. It is you know, uh, and and the fact that here they have this uh, this new project, Children of, uh, of Blood and Bone. You know, just the notion that it's still ongoing. You know, they're, they're still doing new things. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's great. It's encouraging because you, you want, you need to continue to reinvent the wheel yep. and because we are, we are so many different things and so many different, uh, things pulling at our attention strings. So we want to make sure that we can give something unique and fresh because there's a lot out there. There is, there is. Uh, but, but the nice thing is that there at least, there are folks like you, Dan, who are paying attention to all of these things and making us aware of it. And speaking of which, in addition to our show here, looking at Lucasfilm, you have a number of Star Wars-related podcasts these days. Am I correct? Yeah, well, actually, we have kind of a major announcement that we did for our big review show. And speaking of, we had a massive two-and-a-half-hour review of The Rise of Skywalker with myself um, and co-creator Corey Club, my coffee with Kenobi news, newsman Tom Gross, plus the host of our network. Uh, we had Legends Library, Comics with Kenobi, Lattes with Leia, and Resistance Reactions. But what we announced is that in order to give all the different shows their chance to grow and shine and get their own media credentials without being kind of uh, handcuffed because they usually only give one to the, to the one per network, they're going to have their own um podcast so we won't have a network anymore it'll just be coffee with kenobi but this is all good news so they can kind of grow and and advance on their own uh totally unencumbered by anything else which is great so we are, we're all very much good friends the best of friends and star wars family but they're going to have their own thing so you're just going to be stuck with coffee with kenobi and my patreon page which has cwk pro or the exclusive podcast there wow okay well that'll be interesting to see what happens there yes um, I don't know if we're we're willing to do that quite yet over at, at Jim Hill Media. We do that. It's the we're an incestuous bunch of shows over here. Well, that's good. Even though you've got that dead weight like Drew Taylor, it's still going really well. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! You kid, deserve that for that dumpster comment he gave I, last I, time. I, 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 I'm not going to fight you on that point. <laughs> I, and I hopefully people know Drew and I. You know, we, man, we are the best of friends. Oh, this is all for fun. We kid, we kid here a lot that's here. Right. That's okay. right. but, but yes, of course, that that's Drew Taylor with, with the fine tuning podcast that he and I do. And of course we have um, the, uh, the Disney dish with Lentesta. Uh, likewise, Marvel us Disney, uh, which I do with Aaron Adams, the gentleman who edits the podcast here. A lot of the shows here. Uh, and it's just that we have a uh, universal joint with Dustin Fuse and, Boy, they got a lot of stuff uh, going on Universal in 2020. And very shortly, uh, Michelle Valladolid and I will be recording our first uh, I Want That for 2020, which we'll be talking, oddly enough, about a lot of the uh, Star Wars-related merch that, that is available in Batuu and, uh, at the Disney stores and the like. So if you could do uh, Dan and I a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our show, that would be incredibly helpful. Likewise, if you really, really, really like what you've heard here tonight, uh, if you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, um, that, that helps keep us in cookbooks, you know, because again, you know, you, you, you gotta get this stuff off of eBay and all that. That's right. Anyway, uh, I guess that's it for 2019, Dan. So, wow. 
Yeah, it's it it's been a wild it's year. Been a year. Yeah, it's it really been. has. Uh, and going to be interesting to see what 2020 brings. Uh, but ho- hopefully that means lots of new shows looking at Lucasfilm uh, with Dan and I. And until then, folks, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.